Chapter 45 Oh, for lying pleasant illusions to make a paradise rise from the desert shadows of the last journey. Oh, for dreams. Vicente Blasco Abanez, Woman Triumphant, 1906 in geography and geology, I find the physical world is transitory. In history, I discover that the past vanishes hopelessly. In philosophy, I find that all hope is delusion. But perhaps the most important element is that I love music passionately. Music allows immense daydreams. It makes one imagine a beauty greater than beauty itself. It creates exaltation and sublime passions, or at other moments it is extremely tender and is a balm to the heart, and it melts the soul. Babette Ellsworth Counseling A Frame of Reference Summer 1963 September 2nd, 2011 is a gloomy southeast Alaskan evening toward the end of trolling season. I exit the Sitka Public Library, shaved head tan after five months working outdoors. Flecks of gray stubble pepper my chin. I walk beside the waterfront, heavy boots plodding over the damp pavement, but abruptly pause, flipping open my cell phone. A text message lights up. Brian, fishing vessel Hallie Lee. At the P-Bar, come have a beer. With a shrug, I change course, heading up Catlian Street along the edge of town. Docks and processing plants line one side, a few tourist shops and mossy old houses on the other. Even inside the harbor breakwater, harsh winds almost raise whitecaps. I lower my head into the gale. Finally, a sign reading Pioneer Bar comes into view, neon beer slogans filling the windows. I push open a heavy wooden door and enter. Every inch of wall is covered with photographs of boats, some hauling gear, others stuck on rocks. The jukebox plays a country hit, but all heads turn toward the rear pool table where two large men stand face to face. You fucking cheating bastard! Suck my dick, asshole. Their faces darken with anger, and one throws an ill-timed punch, swinging and swaying like an oversized marionette. The other dodges and slugs him back hard in the belly. Hey guys, come on. That's enough! An even bigger fellow, with two others assisting, grabs the pair and hustles them out a back exit. From one of the side booths, a slender blonde youth beckons, arms waving, and face bent in an enormous grin. Holy shit, Ross! Do you catch it? I thought those guys were going to tear this place up. I've never seen a real bar fight before. He glances round, self-consciously. Three other men fill the space, bottles and tumblers strewn before them. Oh hey, you guys all know each other, right? Everyone nods. I order a Rainier and take a deep swallow, then smile, raising my can to Brian, who beams brilliantly again. Outside, dark rain clouds burst, thundering against the roof. As more people enter, water streams off their orange and green rain slickers, puddles spreading across the floor. Everyone has a complaint. You see this weather? They say it'll be too rough to fish for another three days. Oh yeah? With a shitty coho dock price, will it even matter? I think my captain will chance it even before the swells get below 12 feet. One young newcomer takes a shot of whiskey. He slams the glass down. I know some of you have it rough, he announces, but check this. 
Just last week, we're trolling for silvers down south off Forester Island, and I take a minute to admire the sunrise. Ain't got shit on my line. The water is clear, and it's goddamn beautiful. How could I not look? Well, Captain comes out on deck all pissed, says, Hey, where are you? Some kind of fight. Got a fuck scenery all day? Get back to work. Anyway, that's what I've lived with all season. Others murmur angrily. Hell, that's uncalled for, Brian observes. Yeah, what a prick, I mutter, setting my rapidly emptied can down beside an ashtray. I glance toward the entrance, then pause. A black man has entered the bar, something unusual for Sitka. He wears a loose-fitting dark suit, and long, rain-speckled dreadlocks fall past his shoulders. Small oval glasses reflect neon above a bushy beard. He pauses, removing these to wipe droplets from each lens, then strolls past us. My eyes open wide in shock, and I jump up. Awadajan Pratt, I cry, touching the man's arm. Yes, he turns. My name is Ross Elliot. I'm a fan of your work. The show here tomorrow is something I'm really looking forward to. In fact, it's quite a surprise I can attend at all, since this is co-host season. My boat should be out on the water, but terrible weather has kept us in port. I extend a hand, but just as we clasp, boom! An explosion sounds nearby. Smoke drifts from the bathroom and acrid gunpowder fills our nostrils. Holy shit! Brian shouts. He half stands and almost knocks the table over. Everyone reaches frantically to steady their drinks. Several men run out the back door yelling furiously. Pratt looks around with alarm. What was that? I cough, embarrassed. (laughs) My guess is somebody lit off a seal bomb or two in the toilet. What's a seal bomb? Oh, small explosives we use to keep sea lions from eating fish off the lines. They take our catch and can get tangled up, so it scares them away. Just big firecrackers with lead weights and waterproof wicks. Why would somebody light one indoors? Probably because they're drunk. And also idiots. Pratt smiles. I understand. So, I've actually seen you play before. Once in Yakima, about ten years ago. Pratt raises his eyebrows. Yakima. Yes, I remember that performance. And then here? How on earth should you come to multiple shows in such out-of-the-way places? Well, the short version is I spent several years living with a devotee of yours in Portland, Oregon. We saw many classical music concerts and once drove all the way out for your show. She was kidnapped from Yakima and raised in France during World War II, before her sex reassignment and later becoming an atheist nun. I stop, biting my lip. I'm sorry. That's a bit much, perhaps. Pratt nods, his forehead furrowed. Quite unusual indeed. He looks past me, where several others beckon from a nearby booth. I must join my friends, but do you have a ticket for tomorrow? Not yet. I didn't know until recently the storm would keep us here. Why, is it sold out? Pratt bends closer. I don't know. But you are welcome to come as my guest. I could put your name at the door. Yes. Oh, thank you. That would be quite wonderful. We grip hands once more. I arrive next evening at Sitka's Performing Arts Center just before showtime and give my name at the will-call desk. As promised, a ticket waits. I accept it and enter. The hall interior is paneled in deep orange with red upholstered seats and a long scarlet curtain. There's a full house tonight. Patrons lean back and browse stapled programs. 
I take a seat, about ten rows back, on the right, just in from the aisle. On the schedule are four Brahms works for cello and piano. A black Steinway Grand is positioned center stage. Flowers arranged in a large vase accent the far side. House lights dim and silent stretches. Someone nearby clears their throat. Then Pratt and cellist Zul Bailey enter together. Pratt wears a black shirt spangled with red and white geometric shapes. He seats himself on a thickly cushioned bench resembling an ottoman. Bailey carries his cello and sits facing the audience. He positions this instrument before him, dark shoulder-length hair falling around his long, pale face. The two pause for a moment, then unfurl the initial movement of Brahms' Sonata No. 1 in E minor. I shiver. A sudden shock passes through me in the darkened theater. The allegro non troppo hits at gut level and penetrates like a sharp Mauser bayonet. There's no warning, no preparation could deflect this grief. I weep openly, toppling into the abyss. Jamaine Bonafont and Robert Brown stare up from a rural Oregon landscape, their lips forever sealed with captive secrets. The cello wails, its cry that of a lonely child cast into existence on the cold winter plains of central Washington. Images from sepia prints rush together as Pratt's fingers march along, black and white keys lined up for review in SS uniforms. A well of sorrow overflows as the allegro quasi minuetto begins. Albert Ellsworth snaps a self-portrait in some cheap motel room, his round face painted and portly figure bound up with lace, awaiting some unknown rendezvous. Judge Shoemaker smiles, welcoming him home, arms open. Billy Shoemaker looks on, her countenance set with stern authority. Sanyasins wake for their day's labor at the Rajneeshpuram compound, and counterfeit nuns cultivate a vegetable garden under sunny skies. Notes rise and fall with cascades that lift heartfelt prayers to heaven. The final allegro stirs into substance and tears run freely down my face. I see Babette when we last embraced, cold and miserable outside a train station on the way to Portland, then envision her as a teenage youth with the same one-way ticket from Yakima over fifty years before. Anakia's warm bosom and Buenaventura's tender lips press against me. My professor mischievously slips Hitler's photograph between the pages of a Bible, and Felix Yusupov executes Rasputin again and again. Brahms' music becomes phosphor bombs, civil wars, silicon tits, and incest. The salty taste in my mouth is thick with ashes from burned documents and illicit Polaroids. Still, neither piano nor cello completely hide muffled anti-aircraft fire. Sweat glistens on Pratt's forehead, and at last both his hands fall slack. The final notes fade, and I leap to my feet, cheeks wet, clapping furiously. Are you people dead? Behind me, the audience rises, their applause deafening. The End